Welcome to Rising from the Ruins, the empowering podcast for Christian women on a journey of healing after abuse and divorce. Join us as we navigate the complexities of rebuilding our lives, restoring our faith, and rediscovering our true selves. Through inspiring stories, expert insights, and biblical guidance, we'll embark on a transformative path towards reclaiming our strength, finding hope, and embracing a future filled with joy, purpose, and renewed spiritual connection. It's time to rise above the ashes and step into a life of healing, empowerment, and divine love. Let's journey together towards a brighter tomorrow. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rising from the Ruins. My name is Paulina. I'm your host for today, and I have on guest Tracy May. Welcome to Rising from the Ruins, Tracy. Hi, Pauline. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you yeah, for having me. I'm excited me to guest. have you too. So um, quick introduction, like Tracy is a fantastic person and she has so much to offer, but I'm just going to give a brief um, um, introduction um, about who Tracy is. Um, Tracy is a love and relationship coach, a best-selling author and, and speaker. She's a beacon of hope for women struggling in the shadows of toxic love. She knows the destructive power of toxic relationship, and that's why she's here today. And um, I guess my earnest hope is that whoever is going through these relationship struggles as a Christian woman or as a woman in general, and is saying, hmm, I'm thinking this is what I'm dealing with. I've just brought somebody who you will resonate with. And so um, by way of continuing this introduction, Tracy, um, um, why do you do what you do and what drives your passion? Yes. So I've been in um, three abusive relationships with narcissists and um, my second marriage, which was my third relationship. uh, I was in that relationship for almost 25 years. And during that healing journey of figuring out that, you know, I am in an abusive relationship, he is a narcissist, um, I discovered that my passion is to help women stop struggling in the same kind of relationships, help them um, heal the reasons why they're in that relationship, Mm. because I had to do that, right? I had to figure out why do I keep being in such destructive relationships, What about me is causing me to want to do that, right? Ultimately taking responsibility for myself instead of being a victim, which we don't recognize Mm -hmm. we're even doing Mm -hmm. when we're in it because this is how, this is our comfort zone in relationships. It's what we learned as children most of the time. And so my passion is really come stems from my true desire to help women break free from the breadcrumbs of love, help them awaken from the trance and the addiction so that the world can be free of addictive relationships and we can be loved and cherished Mm, how God meant us to be. And every single time I speak with women, either before the recording or while we're recording, I keep coming back to this scripture where Paul says that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. I, on my healing journey, I worked with counselors and I found out that the people who are 
who have either experienced the kind of relationships or the kind of things that counseling people about, or they have people who have experienced it, they make better counselors because they're not just clinical and just thinking of all the things they've read about in books, but it's actually because they experienced those things or they've walked with people who experienced it. And so um, it makes you like a fantastic fit for what you do. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have had this connection with you. And I guess we'll just kick off by, so you've been through three toxic relationships and one lasted up to almost 25 years. I want you to, to walk us through what that relationship looked like. Yeah, so in the beginning of the relationship, it was fantastic. I felt connected to him. We had a lot of things in common, like life felt good. I felt loved and accepted. And after being in the relation, my prior relationships, um, and one of those was physically abusive, you know, I knew I didn't want to be in another relationship where mm -hmm. I didn't feel loved, you know, how I want to be loved. And so this relationship started out great. We had a lot in, like I said, we had a lot in common. Um, and so as time went on, like there were sporadic times of anger, right? And I just thought he was angry. Like I didn't really think a lot about it because, right. you know, people get upset about things. And because I came from a childhood where my stepfather was a raging alcoholic abuser, um, I I didn't know, but I had a comfort zone of mm. tolerating a mm. lot of anger, very high anger, high levels of anger, right? But I didn't know that. And so I just kind of brushed it off because I just thought, oh, he's right. having a bad day, right? Making excuses, which is what we do a lot of the time. And then, you know, we got married and you know, built a home together. And pretty soon he was getting mm. angry more frequently. And it didn't make sense to me because here's this person right. who says he loves me, but he's all of a sudden yelling at me about things that don't make sense. Like I'm being yelled at for going to lunch with my grown daughter, mm. right? Like really pervasively stripping away my self-confidence and my ability to be myself by yelling at me about these things, like somehow that's wrong, right? I'm not out spending money. I'm not cheating. I'm not at bars. Right. I'm not doing any of the bad things that are detrimental to a relationship. And so I'm just living life, not understanding why it's not okay with mm. him to be myself. Yet in between the anger, you have those loving episodes where he's kind and you know, he always bought gifts for Christmas and birthdays and made things special. And he worked, we owned a business together. So we both worked together all day. And um, so it's like, I would see the version right. of the person that I fell in love with, right? In between the episodes of anger. And, you know, in the beginning, when they're not as often, right. you don't think a lot about it. So it took me a lot of years to figure out that I was actually being abused. When it got to the point where he was just yelling at me hmm. almost every day, and this was, you know, it took me maybe 10 years to actually figure out that I was being abused. It took quite a while um, because right. I was in denial. I wasn't used to acknowledging how I feel. I wasn't used to acknowledging mm -hmm, that I matter mm -hmm. and my feelings matter. I'm trying to tell this person how I feel, 
but he's not responding. It's mm-hmm. circular conversations, mm-hmm. it's gaslighting, it's control speculation. But I didn't know about any of that stuff, right? I was very unaware that that's what was going on. And so um, I finally hit a place of like, he was yelling at me every day, screaming at me. He would rage at me for hours at a time. Like I would go to the bathroom to get away from him yelling at me and he'd stand out the door, cussing at me, calling me a whore, telling me that I'm cheating on him. Um, I'm spending his Mm -hmm. money, right? When we both own a business together, everything is jointly ours, right? And I'm not spending money he doesn't know about. Like it was just jargon, right? They do this stuff to make you feel like you're the problem, right? Like, oh my God, he's mad at me because I'm spending money. Where am I? Then you start thinking, well, how am I spending money that he's upset about, right? Like it's all about undermining our self-confidence, our self-esteem, creating self doubt, second guessing ourselves, you know, and then those conversations, which aren't conversations, right? I'm putting air quotes. When that conversation is over, then he's just fine. But I'm devastated emotionally. I'm exhausted physically. I feel like I've been beat with a baseball bat, even though he never Mm. physically ever hit me. Right. I know the difference because I was in a physically abusive relationship. And I can tell you that a relationship that is emotionally, verbally, and psychologically abusive is right. as bad as right. being in a right. physically abusive relationship. Like it is, just mm. tears you down to nothing. And we lose ourselves and we leave, you know, I leave that conversation and I'm ruminating for days trying to figure out what did I do it's to right. make him mm-hmm. have this crazy two hour raging session at me, right? And trying to figure out how can I keep this from happening right. in the future? Why is it, you know, so I was so fixated on saving my relationship that I couldn't right. see the truth of what was going on. And mm-hmm. I was in a lot of denial about the truth. And also the, as right. my third relationship, long-term relationship, mm-hmm. I didn't want to fail. And, you know, the whole thing about God doesn't like divorce. Like, you know, you're trying to make things work. You're right. desperate to make things work. Going to counseling, right. which of course never works with someone who's abusive because they're never willing to take responsibility. And I cry and I tell them how I felt. And, you know, it just, it never, every time we had an argument, which wasn't really an argument, (laughs) I was trying to solve the problem. He wanted to win. Our agendas were different. We didn't want Mm. the same thing out of the relationship. I wanted Mm. love to be cherished, to grow together to be connected. He wanted to control and manipulate me, right? He wanted to win. And so that's very destructive when you're living in that, but it's hard to see it because you're trying to defend and justify and get him to understand that you haven't done what he's accusing you of or yelling at you for, right? And so it's really hard being in those relationships, but you get stuck Mm. in an addiction, the highs and the lows, the good times, and then the bad times, we get stuck in what's called an addiction. Mm. It's a toxic love addiction. And we're addicted just like cocaine or heroin. It's a true addiction. Our our brain neural pathways are messed up with this addiction, right? And then there's the trauma bond where we're bonded to this person who's supposed to love us, but they're traumatizing us. 
And so we have all this stuff going on and you have cognitive dissonance, which is the part in your brain that's trying to reconcile the good part of him with the bad part of him because it doesn't make sense. And so we have all this stuff going on and all this confusion and we're just trying to survive, right? We're trying to be like, I just want to get to the good time. I want to get through the bad time, get to the good time. And mm. so that's what my life was like, you know, but to the outside world, wonderful. my life looked wonderful. We owned a business together, right? Yeah. We had a nice home. We had cars. We went on vacations. You know, life looked mm. like it was great, but in between those great times, yeah. it was I terrible. resonate with, I, I like I resonate myself. with every single thing that you've just said. And it's literally like, you're just speaking my words. Because I know that sometimes I tell my kids that I wish I could go back and and do things over. Because I felt like I missed, as I'm saying it, I'm tearing up. I felt like I missed a whole yeah. lifetime with my kids because I'm trying to make sense of what I'm going through. And like like you, I didn't yes. even know what I was dealing with for the first 12 years. Um, and and you actually named this episode Breadcrumbs of Love Awakening from the Trance. It's almost like you're just there and everything is just swirling around you. You're not even sure exactly, you're just existing. For me, that was how I felt. Like I was just existing. I had I I I I had to start doing thought stopping to be able to break the rumination because I would also sit down and think of what could I have done differently? How could I have said it differently? How could I have walked yeah. differently? Like everything was, it was tough. And so by the time, and that's going to bring me to the next question I need to ask you, like, I feel like I need to ask you. By the time I got to the point, I would call my breaking point. I had lost my memory. My short-term memory was wiped out. Like you mentioned all the things going on with our brains as we go through all of this, right? I lost my hearing. Right, right. And it wasn't a conductive kind of hearing. Yeah. It was, there was a huge time lapse between when my brain picks up on what it's perceiving and when I actually hear it for what it is. And so I went through this phase of time where I'll tell my kids, okay, you need to slow down say what you want to say and give me time to process it. Like it was, it was so bad. If you spoke with me in 2019, 2020, we couldn't carry on a conversation like this. It was impossible. And so um, right. I, I had PTSD. I would just have flashes and like, I would just break down and cry. I was fearful. I was like, I couldn't sleep. And so I had just 12 years of that. How did you survive almost 25 and you're still sitting down here? <laughs> Denial. And I don't want to say disassociation because I never really experienced disassociating from myself, but I was disassociating mm. from the daily pain. So I was so focused on him and surviving that I really wasn't living anywhere else in my life. Right. And I was just like you ruminating about, Oh my God, you know, all day long thinking about this happened how, what could I have changed all of that? 
waking up in the morning, dreading my day because I never knew right. which version of him would I, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, right? I ne- and I never knew what minute thing would set him off. You know, he was screaming at me at work towards the end of when I, you know, stopped being around him. I actually moved home from the office because I'm like, I can't be here anymore. You're screaming and yelling at me all the time. And I wasn't functioning 100% at work because I was surviving everywhere. Like when we have a toxic relationship, it impacts every single aspect mm. of our life, Right. And I think hope, I just had this hope that things would change. And I think that's really what probably got me through those almost 25 years. Like I have seen this good part of him. I know he could be this person all the time if he wanted to be. And so I think I really held on to the potential, the possibility and the promises when I'd be Mm. like, I can't take this anymore. And I did, I moved out. Um, after 17, 18 years and said, I can't do this anymore, mm-hmm. but he got even more angry. So I moved home because it's like, right. oh my God, it's worse. I can't let you, know. but you have been so belittled and so undermined as your ability to even take care of yourself. Because I mean, when I think about it, I was a single mom for almost all of my kids' lives and I ran a, my own business. Like I was perfectly capable of doing anything, but he had undermined me to the level that I just, I didn't, I was in so much confusion all the time. I couldn't decide anything. I wasn't capable of making a decision. Now I didn't lose um, my hearing or any of those things, but I wasn't Mm. processing things properly. I couldn't, um, what do I want to say? I couldn't really see the truth because I was so, I was in protection mode, really trying to survive. And that's what it was about. So I had hope Mm. that things would change. And I believed in the fact that he could change. And a lot of times that keeps us stuck because Mm. we see that potential. And the good times feel good. Like we want to feel good, right? But the bad times are, you know, you have to kind of, I think, get to a place where can I live with this bad part of this person forever? Hmm. I finally had to get to that place. But yeah, it, you know, but and I'm also a very resilient person. I have a lot of perseverance. I had to have a lot of tolerance for anger, unfortunately, not anymore, but I used to have a lot of tolerance, right? And since there was so much confusion, I couldn't make sense of what was going on. Was it me? Mm-hmm. I thought it was me. Right. I thought I was the problem and I was going to therapy and I was trying to fix myself and learning self-love and learning all these things. Mm. But the truth is it was never me. Yeah. Right. But I didn't know that there, I just, there was so much chaos and confusion going on in my head and so focused on just trying to keep him from being angry. Right. That became my sole I purpose think- of my day. Yeah, I think for me, at some point that became the thing, because like you, I didn't know what I was going to say that was going to set him off. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was constantly on eggshells and I had so much confusion going on in my head. I think why mine felt so drastic was my dad ruled with an iron hand, but I didn't grow up with so much anger to the point that I could tolerate that kind of environment 
Um, right. And then I think mine also got to a point that the bad days became just so much that it just blotted out the good days. Like at the point where I knew that it was either I left or I was going to lose my life. It was five long months of silent treatment, five long months. And it gradually escalated. It was one day and I would be the one to beg because I don't like tension around me. Then it was three days, then it was one week. Five long months, I almost lost my mind. At this point, I will have palpitations yeah. so bad, almost like my heart was failing. And so that was when I knew um, that I needed to get out. So I guess my next question to you would be, what do you think played a part in the relationships you went through? For me, because my parents were very strict, I didn't even have relationships. All the people that I knew were either close people from church and my siblings, that was it. So I went out into the world naive, and so innocent that I didn't even think there was a possibility. I didn't even, I never heard the word abuse. I never heard. So I had no reference point. And so when I got in, for the longest time, I didn't even know what I was dealing with. So what do you think is, I'm sure in your work, you would have talked to other women. What do you think is the recurring thing? Why we find ourselves in the kind of relationships we find ourselves in? Well, there's layers. So the main thing is that we have a deep belief that we're not good enough and we're not lovable, but we are, we are not conscious mm -hmm. that we have that, those beliefs going on. Those are our two greatest fears. And when we act out of those places, like people pleasing and perfectionism and, you know, trying to fix people, codependency, that all contributes to attracting people mm. who are unhealthy, but almost always that belief of not being lovable and not being enough comes from our childhood. So from zero to six, we develop our subconscious, our beliefs, our patterns and our programming and our conditioning, right? We learn how to deal with the world. And if we have parents that don't reflect back to us, our value, our love, if, you know, I never experienced physical abuse as a child, but I was neglected and abandoned all the time because my mom was drunk pretty much 24 seven in and out of rehab. As I said, my stepfather was an abusive, angry, alcoholic, raging. Um, he threatened mm. to kill my brother and he didn't know that I heard it. And I went and told my mom. So like I grew up in this environment. So a lot of times we grow up in an environment where there's abuse on some level, it can be sexual, physical, and neither mm -hmm. one of those. Right. And depending on how we deal with it, like how I dealt with it is I had to be learned to be strong and resilient and take care of everybody else because no one else mm -hmm. in my family was present. Right. And so my needs never mattered. And my father abandoned me when I was three. And so I developed this belief that I wasn't lovable, right? Mm -hmm. There must be something wrong with me. Otherwise, right. why would my dad just leave me, right? And I was left alone to take care of my year and a half old brother and wow. my drunk mother, right? 
And so there was all this responsibility that the weight of the world was on me and I mm. needed to fix everybody. And how am I going to take care of the situation? Right. Cause I had to be the adult. And so we can grow up in different types of family environments, but they're dysfunctional, right? 70 to 80% of us grow up in dysfunctional homes. So those patterns that we learn are who we are and how we know how to have relationships and they mm. are, are our comfort zone. Right. And so we go out into the world and start having relationships with all this garbage inside of us, but right. we don't know it's garbage. We know we don't want to live. Like I knew mm. I didn't want to be with an alcoholic. <laughs> I never was right. I knew I didn't want to live in that kind of, I knew I wanted to give my kids mm. a loving environment and to be present to them. Right. Like my mom wasn't for me. Um, I knew all those things, but I didn't have boundaries with people I loved because my mom violated my boundaries all the time. It wasn't safe to have boundaries. So we learned so many things in that environment hmm. from zero to six. And then the years after that as well. But that's our most developmental age. And those things are in us. We And, un, and unfortunately, 95% of our subconscious runs our life. Like our, I'll say I said that backwards. Our subconscious runs 95% of our life. So our thinking part only runs 5%. Until we can heal that stuff. And then our subconscious mm, is good. working at a different level. But right. So we're naturally drawn to people who are like our parents on some level that are wounded like our parents, wounded like we are. And so we end up in these toxic relationships mm. and we don't understand why, because nobody teaches this, right? Nobody teaches us when we're going through school. If you've got a messed up family, we got a bunch of stuff to work on before you go out and start having babies and getting married mm. and all of that stuff. So, yeah, so it comes from our childhood and we don't know it. And then a lot of times we go from bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relationship because we don't know it's mm. us on a certain level. Like we're not responsible right. for the right. abuse ever. An abusive person is responsible. Abuse is a choice. And how we know it's a choice is that an abuser doesn't abuse everybody in their life. They only abuse you. They also don't abuse where people can see them. You're right, right. It's always in private. It's always under the breath. It's always a mm -hmm. little stern grab of your arm or whatever they're mm. doing to try to keep you in line, right? And so it's important for women to understand, uh, and men, but right. you know, I mainly work with women, Um abuse is always a choice. It doesn't matter if they had a damaged childhood as bad as yours or worse than yours. We all, most of us have experienced trauma and some of us choose to be abusers yes. and some of us don't, <laughs> right? I could be an abuser, but yes. I choose not. That was my choice not to. I didn't want to be that person. So it's important to understand that you can't fix someone who's chosen choosing to be abusive because they have to mm. choose not to be that person. Right. And so you're in these relationships and you're just thinking that, you know, this person loves you and they want to love you all the time. And you can't fathom that they really don't a have the capacity mm. and don't really want to because how they're treating you is getting them what they want. Mm. Right. They're controlling you. They're getting your energy. They're getting all the supply from you they need because now you're focused on them all the, the time trying mm. to keep the peace walking on eggshells, getting smaller and mm. smaller every day to keep from creating conflict, right. right? 
And so it's really important to understand that we have programming going on in us that's causing us to stay in these relationships. And that's how we get stuck Mm. in the addiction. We learned a love addiction, even in Mm. our childhood on a certain level. And it just is, it's, it's like, it's like you can be with someone who's abusive and it feels comfortable, right. but you don't like it. Mm. Right. And that's because that comes from mm. an earlier experience. And, you know, we don't actually have good times in a toxic relationship. They're just right. better than the abusive right. times. Right. There, mm-hmm. we're still walking on eggshells. We're still you afraid that at any moment they're going to flip. And the shoe will drop, they'll flip on a dime, they'll turn right. because they've done it in the past. So we know that that's, but those moments of good times in our mind, we think of them mm-hmm. as, oh, I'm feeling mm-hmm. safe right now. I'm feeling loved yeah. because we're striving for this, right? And and part of it too is when we grow up in a dysfunctional home, we learn to look, well, all kids learn to look mm-hmm. outside of themselves for love, right. right? Because we don't know how to love ourselves. Right. And our parents are supposed to show us by example and how they treat us yeah. and how to love ourselves. When we don't receive that as adult, as children, when we go into the world and start having relate. And even when we're teenagers and stuff, we're looking outside of ourselves for love because mm. we don't know how to give it to ourselves. And so we pick people who seemingly are giving us love, but it's the same right. love we had right. when we were young. And so it's really... I'm going to say 99% of women in abusive relationships have had traumatic mm. childhoods on some Yeah, level. just that it's kind of very subconscious. And so a lot of us don't even think it's a problem until we start to see this kind of relationships manifest in our lives. And then we're going like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? I mean, you've just been dropping all kinds of gems um, in this conversation, and I am loving every bit of it. Um, I would want to talk a little more about the beliefs that um, that end ends up putting us in this position. That even when we begin to to see that this is not okay. Um, Sometimes we tell ourselves things like, oh, I'm not, because because they've, they've said things or done things in a way that makes you think you cannot survive without them, right? And so sometimes, even when right. we begin to, for me, I think one of the things that began to make me feel like this wasn't normal was because I could see the cycle. Monday, we had a fight and then there was silent treatment. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I make peace. And so we are seemingly at peace. We're watching movies, eating together. It's almost like clockwork. By Monday, one week later or two weeks later, we're back to the same point. And I began to look at it and I'm like, no, this is too cyclical. It's, It's almost predictable, which was what was also heightening my anxiety. I was a high functioning, anxious person and depressed person for a long time. Like I could still, (laughs) I was, I was working in the church. I was on the worship team. I was on the children's team. We had two services in church. I would lead worship in the two services. I would go down and help kids in both services. Like I was functioning, but I was dying. 
Um, right. And so, and so even right. though I could begin to see that there was just something not right about this, um, I knew the scriptures people were throwing at me was one thing. I knew the scripture I knew based off of what people have preached, like God hates divorce kind of thing, right? Nobody tells us about the fact that in the same scripture, God says he hates men who deal treacherously with their wives, right? So people just quote the other part right. of it to keep you in bondage. Yeah. I actually did an episode that talks about when faith gets weaponized. And that was like a fantastic episode because those were one of the things that kept me kind of stuck in that space. So why I'm wanting us to talk a little more about the beliefs and how people who are listening can actually break off of those beliefs that keeps us bound is the fact that sometimes we actually begin to see that this is not okay. Like, why do I always have to be feeling like I have to cater to your emotions, cater to how you feel, make sure you're not upset, make sure you're not feeling this way, make sure you're always, like, it was just too much. And I had young kids. I was working at a, as a full-time RN. I was going to school, juggling all of those things and still trying to cater to this man's peace. What are those belief systems that you see recurrently that <laughs> keeps people bound, even when they are saying right. that this thing doesn't, it doesn't feel okay. Like I'm getting so, <laughs> I'm getting so, so hyped up by this conversation. Like, I just, I just need people to start to rethink the things we tolerate based off of the belief systems we have. Right. So that belief system is developed in our childhood from zero to six. We don't have any say over it. These are beliefs that our family puts in us, our church puts in us, our relatives put in us. If we have any kind of schooling or mm. babysitter or caretaker, right? These people these beliefs in us and um i believed and i survived on the smallest breadcrumbs of love for a hit of love acceptance validation to feel worthy because i thought other people mm. gave me that right there's this belief that other people are supposed to right. make us feel good about ourselves and love us and pump us up and hold us up and that's mm. true on a certain level but they don't define us people don't define us we have to define ourselves and god mm. defines us right and so it's really important to understand these beliefs of feeling unworthy like we don't think this in our head we don't think, oh my God, I'm feeling I'm feeling unworthy. Let me go get a hit of worthiness. Yeah. <laughs> right. We don't know how to resource ourselves. We didn't learn how to do that. We learned other people are supposed to like I became the caregiver of my mom and my family, right? I'm supposed mm. to take care of everyone else. So in return, people, I'm thinking mm. this is a belief, people are supposed to take care of me. Right. So my husband's supposed to be nice to me and love me and be kind to me. Right. And yes, he is supposed to. But when he's not, then we don't know any other way to be than to continue to mm. believe that this is possible and that he's in charge of our love and our value and who we are. And so we continue to seek that. And it's all subconscious, like all this stuff is coming from a place that's 
has was right. our survival mode as a child. We had to survive through abuse hmm. on some level. And the only way to survive it was to tell ourselves we're the problem. And so if we're the problem, hmm. no one else is the problem. Like we don't learn to make other people responsible right. for their behavior. We believe on a deep level that we have to mm-hmm. fix it, fix them, fix us, yeah. fix our marriage. Right. And so, um, like we have all this chaos and confusion going on, but it's because we're mm. not connected to ourselves because as a child, we develop a wounded part of us that's protecting yeah. us, right? The part that's helping us survive through all this stuff. Well, it must, there must be something wrong with mm. me that my mom drinks. There must be something wrong with me. So if I can fix me, I can mm. get this person to love me. We're trying to get love outside of ourselves. We develop this codependency um, pattern of behavior in our childhood of looking outside of us mm. to be resourced. We have to come back to we're resourcing ourselves. So we have beliefs that we don't matter. We don't deserve good things. We're not good enough. We're not lovable. There's something wrong with us. Um, some people believe mm. they're not even supposed to be yeah. alive, right? have all the crazy beliefs and, and the two main ones, like I said earlier, was I'm not mm. good enough and I'm not lovable. And when that fear is in us, in our subconscious. We operate from that place of trying to get someone else mm. to fix it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and we go to therapy for that. And if we don't have a therapist that knows how to tell yeah. help us reach ourselves and become self-resourceful, right. we can never right. heal. Right. That's the whole thing about coming back and taking responsibility for us instead of responsibility, keep everyone else around us happy and keep everyone Mm. around us loving ourselves, loving us. Right. Because when we're in that codependent state, we're controlling other people. Right. We're trying to, we're trying to get them to make us okay. Right. I'm not the problem. It's not my fault mm-hmm. that my husband's yelling at right. me, which is the truth. Right. We don't right. believe it. Right. We think yeah. we're the problem. We truly believe. And that mm. is a belief from our childhood, right? We're the problem. Mm. We are, we're causing all oh, of that's this. A good one. Yeah. Either it's, yeah, either we're, we perceive it or someone tells us that either way, mm. but that's how it feels, right? Like outside looking in. Um, trying to get love from people that aren't capable. So, you know, we look for love from people that aren't capable of giving us love because our dysfunctional Mm. parents didn't love themselves. They didn't know how to, they didn't have any examples of how Mm. to be loving to themselves. They recreated, you know, my, my grandfather was an alcoholic. So my mom was an alcoholic, right? My father's father abandoned his family. So my father abandoned his his family, right? Like, it's a cycle and it perpetuates. And so our parents don't know how to give us what we need. And then we go out in the world mm-hmm. and we do the same things on some level as our parents. And so we seek people yeah. who are equally unavailable, right? That's how we end up mm-hmm. with men who are unavailable because we're trying to recreate, oh, rehash and fix that relationship yeah. from our childhood with mm-hmm. this adult person mm-hmm. that can't help us fix mm-hmm. it. Well, that's we have so to good. Um, um, so I guess anybody who is listening is beginning to pick up on what was saying in essence. And um, 
Um, I would want us to just highlight what those cycles of the relationship will look like because, or maybe the cycles that eventually happens after you're divorced or while you're still in the relationship. Because I know that at some point, I like I said, at some point I felt like the lows eclipsed the highs to the point that yes, I just kept asking myself, what exactly is my life at this point? Because usually we've revolved around these people to the point we've lost us. And so um, yes. one of the things I knew, I mean, in hindsight, I didn't know, but then I knew I was, now I know it was, it was me grieving. It was a lost cycle. It was me grieving. Like, like you were saying, the, the person we fell in love with compared to the person who is our reality, it was me grieving it. And I knew that I had gone through all the phases and it's like I'm going through them in cycles and cycles. Sometimes I'm so depressed. Sometimes <laughs> I'm bargaining. God, if yeah. you can just fix this marriage. God, if you can just fix me. At some point, yeah. I actually was praying, God, whatever you mm -hmm. have to do, break me. Short of killing me, right? <laughs> because I had come, he even said it to <laughs> yes. me at some point that um, that he went to a counselor. I guess he told this story the way he told it. And the counselor told him I had unforgiving spirit. And he actually came and told me. And I believed it. And so I'm going to God in prayer and saying, whatever you have to do, break me. Whatever. Just fix this marriage and make it work. Right. Um, and so... So, and and then when it doesn't work, I'm in this space where I'm constantly angry. And for the longest time, my kids were on the receiving end of it. But the day I actually stepped into the realization, I think I woke up from the trance and actually began to yes. find words to express what I was feeling. I had to ask my kids for forgiveness. And I said, every time I'm even angry, and it looks like I'm angry at them. It's actually not at them, it's at me. It was a self-directed anger. Right. But now I know it was also part of the um, the lost cycle of dealing with the highs and the lows. Tell us about the cycles of relationships or the cycles of a relationship that is actually damaging and destructive. Well, you have the idealization phase, the devalue phase, and the dis discard phase. And then you have love bombing and hoovering, the gaslighting, mm -hmm. the circular conversations. So you rotate through all those things in a toxic relationship. And there's no set, oh, it lasts this many days or it happens this many times a week or this often, mm -hmm. you know, like it's sporadic. That's the thing about a toxic relationship. The highs and the lows are so sporadic. We can't make sense yeah. of it. Right. And so we can't figure out what's going on. Why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel like I can't trust myself and I don't feel like I matter? And so you have the love, you have the idealization phase, which is when you usually first meet. Right. And things are great and you have so much in common and they mirror everything about you to make you make them make you think right. they understand you and you're on the same page <laughs> and you have the same things. And then, um, then the relationship goes along and then the discard phase starts. And that's, discard is when they really just start undermining you and they're angry or silent treatment or cheating or lying, like 
all these things are going on in this relationship yeah. at different times. It's not the, the thing about a toxic relationship is you, there's no way to say, yes, this is a toxic relationship very mm. easily before you get into it. Right. You have to understand the signs. If you've never been in a toxic relationship and healed from it, right. you can't see it. Right. So you, fall into those old patterns. And so you have the devalue stage where they're making you feel bad about yourself intermittently mm. on purpose to create chaos and confusion, to get you to lose yourself. They isolate you from other people as much as possible. Like making you like my ex would make mm. me feel bad for seeing my kids, my kids. It's like, okay. But then they'd come over, we'd have parties and then he'd be angry. We're having this party, but then they'd get there and he'd act like the yeah. best host of all time. Right. <laughs> and just went like witnessing just the ups and downs, almost right. bipolar kind of moods where it's like, <laughs> who is this person? Right. We're wondering who is this person, but so you're going through the devalue stage. And then sometimes you'll go to the discard stage where they'll be like, mm. they want out of the relationship. Almost always in a toxic relationship, you don't go to the discard phase for a long time. You circle mm. back to the idealization. So the idealization is the love, the love bomb you then, right? Send you mm. gifts, give you flowers, talk to you, spend time with you, go the places you want to go, take you on vacation, promise you this amazing future, right? And you buy into it. You're like, mm. oh, yes, finally, mm. he's back, the person that I love. And then the next thing you know, they're yelling at you because you left the water on or because you didn't turn the bed down right or, you know, is be any kind of, you know, my ex would yell at me for filing our taxes late, even though they were just, um, I'd file for an extension. Like we never mm. filed late ever, never got a penalty, never filed late. But in his mm. mind, it was something to yell at me about, right? Because I was in charge of the business and our yeah. finance, our personal finances. Um, or he'd come up and yell at me and say, oh, I see you're in your cry room because I'd go upstairs crying all the time because I felt so awful. And I'd be in there begging God, like, please tell me what to do. I can't figure mm. out how to fix this. Right. Um, so you're in this love bombing and then or it can be hoovering, hoovering, love bombing is really quite exchangeable. Right. Mm. They're just trying to suck you back in to the relationship. Hoovering usually happens after they've discarded you because they want you back. We're trying to get you back. And so they'll make all these promises and do all the same thing basically as love bombing. And then you have the devaluation, which is the abuse cycle, the abuse time. Right. When they're making you feel bad about yourself, where they're hitting you, where they're blaming you, where they're bullying you, or they're badgering you, when they're trying to control your money, they're trying to coerce you into having sex because you, you know, you have rape, which is someone physically yeah. forcing you to have sex, but you have sexual version, which is making you feel bad because you don't want to have sex with the person exactly. who just violated exactly. you in some way, emotionally, verbally, right? Like they just right. emotionally beat you and to a pulse expect you to and just turn sex the, with you. The, the switch yeah. on and turn, be in the mood. Turn off those emotions. Oh gosh. Yeah. Those be in the mood, you know? So yeah. So there's sexual coercion where they make you feel guilty for not wanting to have sex with them when they want to. And my ex was just really great at that. I would just give in because it was easier to keep the peace, but mm -hmm. I felt so used and it felt awful. And so if someone's sexually coercing you, yeah. you have a right to yeah. say no, even if you're married, you don't have to have sex with right. someone, especially if they're abusing I had, you. I had moments. But I had you, know, moments you have to have that. that. Wow. <laughs> 
the whole thing yeah. is going on. It's dark, right? I'm there bawling my eyes out. He doesn't even know. Yes. Yeah. No, they don't pay attention. They don't care how bad you feel. And they try to control how you dress and who you hang out with and where you work. A lot of them will try to keep you from working right. so they have financial control over you. Or if you have money, yeah. they want to control all the money. Now, luckily, I didn't experience that because somehow, by the grace of God, I grew up with this that I can take care of my own finances and I will never let anyone yeah. completely cripple me financially. Mm. I've had to rebuild. Mm. Get me wrong. I've let my I've let things happen that... Um, you know, where I ended up in debt or I didn't have money because I did let myself mm. get dependent on them in some way, but they want you right. dependent on them so they can control you. So financial abuse of there's, you don't have a checking account in your name with money in it. Mm. You don't have a credit card. You don't have access to mm. your family's finances. You know, you have a right. Yeah. Half of that is yours. You're married. Now, if you're living with someone, yeah. boyfriend, it's different. Um, yeah. So you know, the phases of abuse are so, right. there's a multitude. Mm. There's spiritual mm. abuse, mm. religious abuse, Use right? scriptures. trying to make, yes, using scriptures against you. Yeah. Well, God doesn't like divorce. No, God doesn't like divorce, but that doesn't mean you can't divorce. It means God mm. doesn't want you to be abused. God wants his children to be yeah. loved and cherished and to live in abundance and prosperity. Right. It says that in the Bible. Yeah. God wants to prosper you. God is not causing you to be in this toxic relationship. You are because of stuff right. you don't know yeah. that's going on. And the devil is using it to right. keep you from your purpose. If he can keep right. you in that right. relationship confused, and in chaos and not able to function at a hundred percent, you can't go out and do your purpose yeah. that God yeah. wants you to do. And, like, right. He's working against yeah. you too, right? Like the devil's not making him do it, but the devil's definitely using everything against you to get you to stay stuck there so that yeah. God doesn't have the power yeah. because yeah. we have free will, right? God yeah, that is so true. do something. What you just said reminded me of something. And um, at the peak of this whole thing, just beginning to fall apart, after he had told me I had unforgiving spirit, right? Then we had a program in church and guess what? They preached on unforgiveness and I'm feeling that God was calling me out, right? <laughs> and so I'm on the worship team mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. evening and um, the pastor calls altar call. Mind you, I've never met him from Adam. I didn't even have any conversation with him prior to this point. So when he calls the altar call, I'm there just resting in my spirit. But then because I'm just all in and asking God to do whatever. So if God is calling me out now, I better be responding, right? So I answer the altar call. And when it comes to my turn, the man of God just placed his hand on my, his palm on my forehead and he was silent. I don't know how long. And then he said, the devil is using somebody very close to, to you to torment you. And up until this time, I described myself as a dead woman walking, walking, right? I didn't have any emotions. I was dead. I was just in survival mode. But it was like the dam of tears broke. And I am screaming and bawling. And I couldn't even stop myself. But that was 
the turning point, the beginning of the turning point for me. That was the same night I went back home and asked for forgiveness from my kids. Um, and so what's like, it's, it's almost like we lived the same life. I lived it a lot shorter than you did, but it's almost like the same thing. <laughs> um, I had moments when, so after some time, I began to only pray one prayer. God gets me out of here. I didn't want, I'm not confrontational by nature. I didn't want anything that was going to blow out. And I wouldn't know, like I'm still trying to make sense of my whole existence, right? And so I began to pray that God would get me out. And so when God eventually did, I moved to a different province. And at the time COVID lockdown happened, I had $6 to my name and I had two kids to feed. Oh, gee was a huge time of panic for me. So I'm still alluding to the financial abuse and all that you said, right? And so the other thing yeah. I also noticed mm -hmm. is that the kind of cycle you go, you go through depends on you, depends on your love language. My yes. love language isn't gifts. My yep. love language isn't anything financial, right? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't getting all the high falutin mm -hmm. promises of, Bahamas or these big gifts and, and stuff like that. It was mostly just words. It was poems. It was, so your, your cycle is, that's what I'm noticing is going to depend on how you receive and give love and, and a lot of um those other things. So I guess my next question to you would be, I know our experiences have a way of shaping us and changing us. So do you think your experience changed you? For me, I know that the first two years after I came out, all I did was watch crime videos. So I can see, yeah, that's the way they behave. Yeah, he killed his wife. Yes, that's, I wanted to hate men. Like I wanted to, but it was coming from a place of brokenness, right? And so by the time I started to, right. to walk in healing and all that, mm -hmm. and like, okay, no, you cannot paint all men with the same brush stroke. And so how do you think your own experience changed you? I guess I'm going to want you to attack two different things here. How did it change you? And what was your healing process like? So um, what it changed for me is that I became ultra aware of my part in the cycle. I was tolerating abuse, not tolerating mm. it like picking it, Subconsciously, I was tolerating abuse and I had to come out of denial and be willing to face that I am part of the cycle. I'm part of the system because I'm letting this person treat me bad mm. by choosing to stay. Right. And so I really had to be very willing to face my truth without beating yeah. myself up about it, mm. which was really hard, right? Because I want to, you know, you want to ruminate, you want to think about, oh, if I just mm -hmm. would have done this, or if I just would have done that, or maybe, you know, yeah. if I just was a different person. Well, you weren't, we went mm. through this for a reason, right? I mean, I feel I went through basically a lifetime of abuse mm. so that I can help other women. I went through my healing journey so I could help people. Otherwise, what would be the purpose right. of me going through all of that, right? Not just to heal me. I would, God's mm -hmm. wanting me to help other people. But what I had to come to was that I yeah. have to choose me. 
every time. And that felt so selfish because Mm. I didn't know how to choose me and love other people. I didn't really even know how to love me because I was always giving myself up and giving my power away to other people so they Mm. could make me feel okay. And when I looked around at my life, I could see I was letting my Mm. adult children abuse me in the way that they treated me. And I just was, I just looked at this from all angles of like, wow, I have attracted all of this. I have created this environment because I truly don't know how to love myself. I truly don't know how to pick me. I don't really know how to set boundaries because setting boundaries with people, I could set boundaries all day with a stranger. I could set boundaries all day with our employees, right? Because I didn't love that. Mm, It wasn't an intimate connection, right? With my kids and my husband, I couldn't set boundaries because I was Mm. too afraid of losing their love. And that's really what it comes down to. This whole thing around addiction, toxic love, being in this trance is that we're so afraid of losing Mm. other people's love because then it means there's Mm. something wrong with us. And so I really had to be able to face that about myself, that I'm really in essence, choosing to be abused on a certain level. And, and I have to change that about myself. I have to decide, no, I had to make a commitment to myself of no, I'm not going to be around anyone who abuses Mm -hmm. me. And I don't care who they are. If they can't talk to me about something that's wrong in a way that we can solve it. I don't need them in my life because that's yeah. not who I'm going to be anymore. I'm going to be this person. I'm going to set boundaries and not boundaries of you can't treat me that way. Boundaries of if you treat me that way, I'm taking myself away, telling myself that, mm-hmm. not even telling the person, right? It's more about creating boundaries within ourselves that are like, these are my stops. These are my mm-hmm. um, deal breakers. And I'm not going to be around someone who treats me like this. And you don't get a bunch of chances, maybe two chances instead of 550, right? Which was always giving more chances, more chances. Well, you have to keep trying because I had that personality trait of never give up. Right. And you just keep trying and trying and giving more chances. And maybe this time it'll be different if I just do it this way and I do it. Yeah. So I had to face that I was in denial because my, my ex second ex-husband was actually our whole relationship going to strip clubs and hiring prostitutes behind my back. And he spent $250,000 that I didn't know about because we had separate checking accounts, but we owned a business together. Right. And he would go out of town for the day to see customers. But part of that time wasn't Mm. customers, but I didn't know, but I knew something was off and Mm. I didn't know how to listen to myself. Right. And he promised, you know, he wasn't a drinker. He promised he mm-hmm. wouldn't drink, but he was drinking. So he was lying to me, cheating, doing all the stuff behind my back. And I knew something was off, but I didn't listen to myself because I didn't have that ability to listen to myself because I was oh, always giving my power yeah. away to everybody else. Right. And so my journey had to include facing all of those truths about who I was showing That's up so as good. in the relationship. Yeah, because I wasn't getting what I wanted, right? I had these values in my head anyways that I wanted someone who was trustworthy, honest, loyal, faithful, loving, supportive. Um, You know, the list goes on. 
but the person I was married to wasn't that, mm. didn't have those values, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, his excuse for doing all that was, oh, I just thought you were going to leave oh. me because you're better than me. Or he had all these crazy, like they right. have these crazy reasons that don't make anybody because mm. they're not true, right? I was just afraid you'd cheat on me. Exactly. Well, then why are you with me, right? Like, I've never cheated on you, never, you know, but it was, it was mm. more lies. Oh, projection. Right? Lies. They lie all the time. Projection. They gaslight you. Right. Projection, gaslighting, mm -hmm. blaming, all of it. Right. And I had to face that I was letting all that stuff go on. And I had to heal that part of me that mm -hmm. didn't love myself enough to say, no, that's a hard, yeah. no, a hard bounce. I can't be with someone who treats me like this. So that was part, that part of my journey. I had to learn you know, I, I learned what I, I healed using inner bonding and inner bonding process. So it's about healing the wounded part of you, knowing you have this wounded part of you that wants to keep you in this scenario right. because it feels safe, right? It's not safe, but it feels mm -hmm. safe. It's your comfort zone and learning how to develop the loving adult part of me that would say, this person's lying to you. You mm -hmm. feel it in your gut, listen to it. Right. But my loving adult wasn't developed. Like I never learned to develop that part of me. And most of us, you know, 90% of us don't, or maybe more, right? And so, and letting my little girl communicate with my loving adult, having my loving adult stand up mm. for her and take care of her. And no, it's not selfish mm. to want X, right? It's not selfish to love yourself right. first before other people, because you exactly. can give away what exactly. you don't have, Right. You're not loving yourself. You're not really giving love. Mm. You're kind of trying to control everybody to get love. So really learning how to change that narrative and how, you know, those mm. thoughts going on in my head. Yeah. The I'm the problem. All the judgment and criticism and all the different ways I was beating my, I was honestly beating myself up just as bad exactly. as everybody around me. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I and know. it's hard to face I all know. of that because it's a lot. I know. It's I, a I've lot, right? It's, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to recognize, yeah, but that's okay. the path. Yeah. Right. And what was what your question? Yes. Second part of the question was the process, right? So, yeah. So it was the inner bonding process and learning to have compassion so for me, learning to mm. have empathy for myself, forgiving myself for not advocating for yeah. myself with this person. I could advocate with a lot of people, just not with someone I was emotionally yeah. connected to, right? Forgiveness, um, self-care, just saying, you know, if I feel like exercising, I'm going to exercise mm. today and I don't care if he likes it right? because I did a lot of my journey while I was still with him because we had a business together and he had undermined myself, even though I had raised, like I said, two kids on basically on my own, my whole life um, from the time, well, I left my first husband mm. when I was five months pregnant with my second kid. And so I took care of my kids on my own their almost their whole life. And I ran a business. I went to college, right? I did all the things. My kids were in sports, you know, like I'm right. perfectly capable person, right? Very intelligent, very mm. capable, very resourceful. And yet I'm in this relationship where I'm feeling I'm not. Yeah. All of that's been undermined as far as the relationship. And so I didn't have confidence that I could go out and start another business either. And so I felt really stuck. Like all my money was, you know, my financial future was tied right. up in our house and our business. Mm. And so I didn't want to leave. 
I wanted to try to figure out how to, I still wanted to try to figure out how to make it work while I was healing. And the key thing was I had to be willing to lose everyone in my life to find me because I had to become most important. Oh my gosh. So, you know, just, yeah, really recognizing Mm. how I'm treating myself, how I'm talking to myself, the everyday thoughts that are going on, the procrastination, the self-sabotage, the perfectionism, those are all the people pleasing. They're all symptoms of not loving ourselves. I had to heal all Mm. those different little symptoms and that that was in that process of healing that wounded part of me that keeps telling yeah. me you're yeah. not good enough. You're not yeah. lovable. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, like every single thing, I mean, this is probably like the third, <laughs> like the third time I'm saying this, that everything you are saying is like, you have an X-ray on me and you're just saying everything. And, um, you 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 said some important things that I I feel like I need to just pick out not because I'm thinking people are not hearing it but sometimes when we have emphasis it might stick a lot better. You talk about listening to ourselves, and I walk with the spirit of discernment, but for a long time I wasn't listening to it. I wouldn't have even found myself in the right. kind of relationship I found myself if I had just listened, and then. Yeah, right. And I, then yeah. and then I had to I I had to watch an episode from one Dr. Ramani where he talks about how our body keeps scores. That was when I began to yeah. actually break out of the denial I was in. Because I'm thinking Christian mm-hmm. abuse, you don't put them in the same sentence, right? So I I um mm-hmm. she talked a lot about and I think I am, am, I was planning to look for the book. They said there's a book that is actually out there that talks about how our body keeps scores. But that was a tipping point for me. There because is, now I'm saying everything my body is telling me, the anxiety, the loss of hearing, the loss of memory, and every every yes. problem that came with me just trying to fix this marriage and work it out at all costs. Um, I didn't listen for a long time. So you're you're telling people, I'm hearing you tell people that we need to start listening. Either it's to what our body tells us or what the spirit of God inside of, our te- of us tells us. And you mentioned who was showing up as. Um, I was also trying to make everybody happy at the expense of, of myself. And then loving ourselves enough if somebody constantly belittles you and berates you and makes you feel less than, you should love yourself enough to walk away. And so for me, you know, at some point you mentioned commitment. For me, I had to also make a commitment to myself. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. So when I couldn't say no, if I say no, I'm going to beat myself up for saying no to somebody. And so it was always a yes. And then I'll feel bad that I said yes, because now I'm overworked, I'm overwhelmed. Um, and so for a long time, I couldn't I couldn't speak up for myself, but I had to make a commitment. So when I talk with women, I talk about self-contract because um, you have to make a commitment to yourself. And one of it was, I make a commitment to speak up, even if I'm going to die from speaking up. And so I tend to speak up for myself. Yeah. And um, you also mentioned the fact that we have to have something to be able to give it away. So I have to be full. 
to be able to give it away. And scripture is very clear. Love your neighbor as yourself, not more than yourself. So it means that right. I can only love my neighbor to the extent I have the capacity to love me. He talked about self-compassion and empathy. One of the reasons I felt so angry towards myself was, you are a good judge of character any day. How did this person bypass your radar? And so I had to come to that place of self-compassion. Okay, you're not perfect. You will make mistakes and that's okay. The thing is to learn from the mistakes you have made and be able to move on. And you talked about forgiveness. That's so key. I did a solo episode. I haven't heard it yet on forgiveness and what that looks like and what forgiveness is not. I thought that as a Christian, if I forgive the person, I, I have to. My evidence that I forgive was to give them access to me again. But you mentioned something while yes. you were talking about how emotionally drained you you get when you converse with these people. I feel you used a bat. I felt like every time it was like a trailer actually ran over me. That was how I felt. And so um, I had to understand that forgiveness doesn't mean that this person still had, had that full access to me. And so I did that episode on what forgiveness is and what it's not and what to watch out for. And then um, one of the, la the last thing you said was being ready to lose everybody to find you. I am the person who I'm on the extreme end of being introvert. So that means that I may have just one friend and even if that friend is killing me, I'm holding on. But I guess coming to the point where he told so much lies about me that people began to cut me off was me coming to that space where I was like, okay, if they cut me off or if they believed the lies, it was because they really didn't know me. And I began to be accepting of the fact that people will come and people will go. And I had to be okay with that. Um, like I could talk to you all day and I'm hoping you would have time to be able to do more episodes because when I was reading your bio I saw some very amazing things that listeners will want to hear about and I'm hoping to be able to bring you on more episodes so we will leave whatever else we have to talk about for those episodes but you wrote a book that became a you co-authored co it right yeah that became Authored. a bestseller yes. So I want you to talk to us about the book and how listeners can get access to it because you shared with me amazing information that people should know. I feel like these things need to be taught in high school, right? So, so I want you to tell us about the book, how people can get it and how listeners can connect with you. Yes, so um, I co-authored a book called... Um... <laughs> oh shoot now I forgot what the name of it is <laughs> break free from toxic relationships or hold on I can't even remember what the name of it is I think I wrote yeah, that like... in my bio let me look sorry I forget every now and then because yeah. it's a really long title um toxic relationships women who broke free from toxic re oh Entangled no more. Women who broke free from toxic relationships building their empires. That's the name of it. You can find it on Amazon. I have a few copies left. So if you want to email me at Tracy at fiercelyempowered.com. And I think yes, you're I going will. to put the link on the show notes. Yes. Podcast. Yeah. Um, you can email me um, to get a copy of it. It's a little cheaper than online. I have, I think, three copies left. 
So if you'd like to, and, you know, and it's 19 co other co-authors. So we have 20 people who wrote about different types of mm -hmm. toxic relationships, work, friends, the relationship with themselves, you know, personal, intimate relationships. Um, so, yeah, so you can read about the book in there. And it's my chapter is really all about just kind of my journey of discovering I was being abused, all the ways I finally figured out it was abuse. And all the thing, you know, like I mentioned how I was living mm. in a battlefield every day. So I take one step and it explode and I take <laughs> another step and it, you know, I never knew. So just kind of really talking about, you know, the parts of the relationship where just mm. I wasn't functioning and yeah. all these things were going on. Right. Because I wasn't functioning mm. at a hundred percent capacity. Um, you can reach me. I actually have a gift for you. It's at www. Um, giftfromtracymay.com. You can, if you're interested in talking to me about coaching, you can go to www.talkwithtracymay.com. You can, like I said, you can email me, you can find me on Facebook. My website is www.fiercelyempowered.com. And um, you can find re free resources there and also get a free session with me. Um, in a free session, we'll just talk about what's going on and see, you know, mm. figure out what your next steps are and see yeah. if coaching is your next step. So I'm on TikTok, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, so you can just follow any yeah. of the links I think that you're going to put down for them. Mm. Any of those places I post. Also, I have a Facebook group that's private. Um break free from toxic love, get mm, the love you deserve. So you can reach me at any of those places and, or you can find me on Facebook messenger and DM me, mm. like feel free to reach out. Um, I'm, you know, my goal is to help you break free from that toxic addiction, the toxic cycle, the trance, the breadcrumbs, you know, you deserve better. You are worthy. You are enough. And you deserve to have the life you want. And if part of that is a loving and caring relationship mm. where you're cherished every day and you feel like you matter, mm. that's what I yeah, want to Yeah, that's you so get. good. And that was what I was going to ask you, that what final words do you have for the person who listened to this episode or who will listen to this episode? Because um, I think it's something that really needs to be out there. There are different versions of what we've done today, but having you just come up here with your experience and your expertise so far working with women um it's it's kind of it's it's really enriching because i feel like i've learned a lot just talking with you um so um even though you've you've said a few things do you have any final words to to the woman who is like in this trance and is having difficulty breaking off of it yeah. And what I want to say to you is be compassionate with yourself. Like it is hard to break free of a toxic relationship. Mm. Some people never do. And it takes seven tries on average for someone to get out of a toxic, abusive, narcissistic relationship. And so it might take you less and it might take you more. And don't beat yourself up if you haven't left or beat yourself up if you left and you've gone back or if you've left mm. and you still want to go back. 
Like this is truly an addiction on the level of cocaine and heroin, and it is tough to break. And so change the mm. message that you're telling yourself. You are valuable. You are worthy. You do matter. Your feelings matter. And it's okay if you're not ready to leave because you can change the right. cycle while you're there, mm. right? You can't change him. Sometimes we change and the other person will change, usually mm -hmm. not in an abusive mm -hmm. relationship, but right. like in a regular relationship, but you can change you to where, you know, I experienced it when I first started changing, setting the boundaries and not walking away from all the crazy conversations going in the car, like leave the house, like don't subject mm -hmm. yourself to abuse anymore. But when I started doing that, my mm -hmm. ex started getting more angry and it was scary. And I wanted to stop because I'm right. like, Oh my gosh, it's getting worse. But as I stayed true to what I committed to for me, my commitment to my journey of healing, he started getting less angry. Like the episodes were less often and they were less intense. And so it gave me a little more space mm -hmm. to continue my growing, you know, even though I ultimately had to end the relationship because he couldn't stop mm -hmm. being abusive on some level. It was right. way less right. than it was when I was in it. And so I'm going to encourage mm -hmm. you start now, even if you're still in it, you don't have to leave. And if you, you know, and don't be so hard on yourself. This is, this is things we learned in our childhood and for me, I'd lived it for 55 years before right. I started working on myself as hard to change. Yeah. It's hard to change, let alone change something you've done your whole life. So love yourself in the midst of it and know whatever steps you take, whatever little tiny bit of progress you make mm. every day is yeah. progress. Thank you so much for that. And I'm just going to say to every woman listening, if you heard, um, what Trace is saying, we're also saying be safe. Sometimes you need to assess your situation yes. and see if I get out, does that mean I potentially will lose my life? There are all kinds of resources in different places, crisis center, domestic violence center. Use every resource at your fingertips. Don't do this alone. Find trusted friends. Find people in church who support you. But above all, be safe. Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on. This was a fantastic episode. And I'm hoping we will have more conversations like this going forward. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love, this has been amazing for yeah. me too, just speaking with you and connecting and connecting mm -hmm. with your viewership and appreciate the opportunity because it's so important to me mm -hmm. to get the word out that abuse is happening. It's usually hiding in plain sight. A lot of times we yeah. can't even tell we're being abused. And so the more we bring awareness to it, the more chance there That's is good. for women. And to thank heal. you our listeners for um, being part of today's episode. And I hope that we'll catch you in the next one. Have a good day now. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We hope that the conversations and insights shared have been valuable to you. However, we want to emphasize that the information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, and legal advice. We understand that navigating divorce and healing from abuse can be challenging, and we're here to support you on your journey. 
We want you to know that you're seen, heard, and loved. Be sure to subscribe as new episodes of Rising from the Ruins will be released every Wednesday morning. So mark your calendars and join us for more empowering discussions and practical tips. Also, if you enjoyed the episodes, I'd love to ask you to leave review on Apple Podcasts. Remember, all the resources, references, and additional information covered in each episode can be found in the show notes. If you ever need further assistance or have specific questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're here to help you in any way we can. You're not alone on this path of healing and transformation. If no one has told you, let me be the one to say it. I hear you. I see you. And I validate your experience. Thank you again for being a part of our community. Take care and remember that your well-being matters. We look forward to connecting with you in our next episode. God bless you. Bye now.